Hey, y'all, this is Eric, and you're listening to Southeastern Bowhunter Podcast. Hey, y'all, this is an ad thanking the one person who has been supporting me nonstop this entire time, putting up with all my uh, all my antics with this podcast and with hunting and everything else. Um, this is an ad for this episode brought to you by my wife. <laughs> Uh, some of y'all might not find that funny to me. You know, I think she deserves a shout out cause she's been, you know, literally with me through this entire process of learning how to do the podcast, getting the equipment. She's helped me out with getting mics and has been so understanding about time it takes to edit, to record. Um, you know, I just wanted to give her a shout out on this episode since this is going to be such a special episode and say thank you to her and thank you to everybody else that's been listening. Um, she, she's been the driving force in this. She knows that this is what I want to do. She knows that this is, you know, the goal for me is to make this into my career. Um, and what better way with this huge episode to just give her a shout out and say thank you. So this episode is brought to you by my wife. This episode is brought to you by Bone Collector. No, just joking. It's me. But that should have been a hint to who we're having on, who our guest is going to be for this episode. I'll tell you all what, I can't even believe this is happening. I've been watching this guy on TV since I was a kid. He is, in my opinion, one of, if not the best archer in the industry, one of the coolest guys, and we are so blessed to be able to have him come on this early on in the podcast much less even coming on at all um if you haven't guessed by now we're gonna have mr travis t-bone turner on this episode dude is awesome we're gonna talk about pretty much everything under the sun it's our first time having him on hopefully one of many and i cannot be more excited i have been wanting to have him on since i started this since the idea was even born um, I didn't think it was going to happen this soon, to be honest, but he's here, he's on it, and I'm eternally grateful that he decided to take some time out of his busy schedule to come be on this podcast with us. Y'all, the man, the myth, the legend, let's get with Mr. Travis T-Bone Turner. All right, so we got Mr. Travis T-Bone Turner here. What's up, man? Hey. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. Thank you for coming on. Seriously. I mean, I, like I said in the intro that everyone's going to hear, um, you know, I've been watching y'all since I was a kid and I mean, my, my main goal really when I first started this was to have y'all on and I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful, dude. Like I really am. So I, uh, I owe you a big one. <laughs> oh no, you're welcome, man. My, my pleasure. Anytime to share a campfire and, you know, kick around some hunting stories and stuff like that with anybody that's one thing about me michael and nick we we pretty much never turn down uh, radio shows uh, interviews or, or podcasts or anything like that just you know sometimes we have to work around schedules but we we, we never turn those things down so i appreciate you inviting me and appreciate you having me on yeah man of course and i do apologize about um last week you know it was a scheduling issue and had to uh serenade the wife basically <laughs> to take her out on a date night so that's all right man life gets in the way for sure yeah man so speaking of that um as a lot of people know you've kind of gone through a lot the past year and a half or so um how are you doing pretty good um you know it's uh, adjusting to the new normal of course i would have thought that uh you know i i, I gotta be reminded constantly that you gotta take things slow and steady you know i, I guess whenever i had my leg amputated because of cancer back in February, I figured it. I thought, yeah, man, I'll be walking by April, probably get to go to Kansas on my farm and shed hunt. And, you know, I had all these plans and everything. But, you know, when you're dealing with doctors and doctor visits and, and rehabbing, and plus, you know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. And plus, you know, it, it makes it a little harder being a, a big guy as well. So uh, uh, things have moved a little slower than what I had thought. But, but we're getting there. We're, we're uh, you know, re- reality check is, as 
it's not a reality check you want to go through, but you know, at the end of the day, like I've said so many times, it, it could be worse. No matter how bad I have it, it could always be worse. So yeah, that's um. Man, I, I'll be honest, I feel bad sometimes when I'm having like a rough day at work and I'm like, man, there's people that have things so much worse. I have no reason to be upset about anything, you know? And it's kind of the same thing yeah. like when you're in the woods. I mean, we both know it doesn't always go your way, you know? So oh, wow. that's a very humbling experience. I had a buddy of mine this past weekend um, for the opener. He had a couple chances at some deer and he, I think he missed one and then he had a bad shot, like a gut shot on another. And I basically said the same thing. I was like, dude, you know, it it could be worse. And um, from what I understand, he's, you know, he's passed now and he's ready to, to lay one down this weekend. Um, did you ever, what, what's the deal with the leg thing? Like, what's up with the prosthetic? Because I've, I've heard you on a few podcasts and I know that the insurance company is just running you around. Like, what's, not to get too personal, of course, but what's, yeah. what's the update on that? Yeah, that, that, that's just the, that's, just did exactly they're just uh, saying that the uh, prosthetic company they're not willing to pay for it like all the stuff that I needed like uh, you know uh, uh, walkers and a you know a, a bedside porta potty and electric wheelchair and all that stuff I was told by the handy the, the rehab people said you should try to pay for that because the your prosthetic legs gonna be the most expensive thing they said so if you can pay for those things which is cheaper then you know, then they'll pay for the prosthetic leg because they're not going to pay for an electric wheelchair and the prosthetic yeah. leg. So, uh, with that said, I you know paid for everything out of pocket, and then uh, you know you pay. My wife's a school teacher, so we have insurance through her, mm-hmm. and you pay in to this insurance for all these years. And when you finally do need it, you know they're not there for you. So they're saying that the prosthetic people built too heavy of a duty of a leg that they didn't really need to build that heavy of a duty of a leg. So it's just arbitration so to speak but yeah. I look at it as a blessing because it's been like six or seven weeks now since it's been complete mm. but since then I found you know because this is all new to me just fell into my lap there's a new type of uh, socket or prosthetic leg socket that uh, it's not like a bucket on your stump it's um, more of a almost like a robotic uh, glove that grabs your stump really and you can adjust it yourself so actually just this past Thursday, just you know, like four days ago, I went to Montgomery, uh, Alabama was the closest uh, place for that, and I got measured for that prosthetic. So it, you know, it might may be a blessing, so I'm gonna actually yeah. have that socket put on the leg that's already been built. And you know, it's it's to the point now where I, uh, you know, I'm, I probably would just, you, you know, if, if I have to, I'll just end up paying for it because I'm like, I, I'm not gonna wait no year on getting the leg. Yeah. Cause that's a year of my life. I'm gonna try to, you know, get back up on it. And I realize I was gonna be a 50-50 wheelchair and a prosthetic, but you know, I got a, I got a few things. Everybody, you know, is telling you, oh, you'll be able to get back out and hunt. I mean, sure, I'll be able to hunt some, mm-hmm. but uh, my, my biggest goal is gonna sound silly, and but uh, is to get back on my zero turn mower, get back in my skid steer on my tractor. I just love doing that kind of stuff. So that's my number one goals is to be able to do those things. Yeah, and then. Uh, you know, uh, of course, if I can do those, then, you know, uh, hunting uh, or adapting to hunting and maybe, you know, climbing a few steps to get up in a blind or something like that should be, should come pretty easy. So that's what we're looking for. Gotcha. Yeah, I remember, because, um, I mean, dude, I, so I'm, I'm in the life to, uh, life safety business, so I'm traveling all over the state of Georgia. I'm actually not that far from you. It's probably about an hour and a half, I would say. Um, Covington? Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not too far. I've actually done some work down by y'all. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm listening to podcasts all the time. So, of course, when I see, you know, new episode with T-Bone on, I'm like, all right, man, I got to listen to that. So yeah. uh, I heard about the skid steer stuff, man. Like, that, I've never done that. See, I didn't grow up. Like, I grew up in Gwinnett. So it might as well be the city, you know. Um, yeah. And then I moved out here when I met my wife. And, I mean, it's it's it honestly changed my life. Um, it, it got me into hunting because I didn't grow up in a hunting family. And um, so I don't know anything about any of that. I don't – what's a skid steer even for? <laughs> oh, well, a skid steer is just like a track loader or, uh, I mean, uh, most folks would use it like a, like a mini bulldozer. But you okay. got so many attachments for it and all. And, and I have land here. I just my, – my passion, even though I'm so blessed to have the outdoors, is my career mm-hmm. and has been for a long time, you know, whether it's archery or – hunting and, and hunting and traveling and public speaking and stuff 
so um, you know I, I've been able to scratch my outdoor itch as my career so um, I, I've been real fortunate that for the last 25 or so years but with the uh, the skid steer and stuff once I started uh, was able to buy my first piece of land and you know taking it from just a, a, a diamond in the rough and polishing it up I mean I started with no tractor all I had was a four-wheeler and a chainsaw and started you know doing things carving it up and then yeah once I got the tractor I started doing more things with the tractor had a front-end loader on my tractor and then a skid steer was just a natural progression so you can do all kinds of things as far as digging and changing and shaping the ground and mulching and brush cutting and trimming of limbs and it's just fun you know yeah. I mean it's it's one of those things where my, my wife and I call it diesel therapy so that you you're on the tractor you're on the skid steer and you know you're kind of mindlessly just going through the day you work eight hours and you get off the skid steer the tractor or your zero turn lawnmower and you're you look around and like man I didn't even have to put much thought into that and look how beautiful <laughs> this property looks yeah. now so I, I just love that I love taking you know a piece of property that's just absolutely a, a most people would call a turd mm-hmm. and and, and uh, you know they drive right by and say ooh that's ugly and you know you, you buy it at a reasonable price and you go in there and polish on it and make it something that is desirable to somebody and or uh, you know create a whitetail habitat to where the deer are just thriving on there so uh, that, that's what I really enjoy doing I mean and that just goes hand in hand with you know archery and outdoors yeah. it's just an extension of everything that I've done for the last 25 or 30 years yeah man you you said archery I mean that you have been a huge help with me learning about archery because I got my first bow um, let's see the end of 2020 and have basically been shooting every day trying to learn you know I, st- I mean I started out I took it to an archery shop and asked them hey you know this is at 70 pounds can y'all set this up for me I need it to be lower can you put it at like 55 and they did and the first time I ever drew a bow back and uh, man I, I tried pulling it back and it sounded like my shoulder fell apart <laughs> like like if you take a bag of chips and crumple it that's what it sounded like and I looked at the guy and he looked at me and I'm like yeah, can we turn this down a bit? I was like, maybe to 50. Turns out they put it to 40 and didn't tell me. Gave me like three, I think it was like 320 grain arrows or something. And I tried hunting with that that year. Um, I had no idea. I didn't know anything. And then I stumbled upon y'all's videos on YouTube because um, I knew that y'all hunted. I knew that y'all had Bone Collector. I knew y'all were with Real, uh, Real Tree and, and um, like Jeff Foxworthy back in the day and all that. Um, but I didn't know how deep your archery roots went. So when I started watching those, um, and I was I was watching you and I was watching Ranch Fairy, and I was seeing a lot of similarities with, with everything y'all were saying. And, I mean, ever since then, man, I can't tell you how many arrows I've built and tinkered with, how many fletchings, broadheads. You're the reason why I shoot the Mega Meat. Um, I saw it on y'all's ad, and then I looked it up, and I saw that giant, you know, like, freaking trash can size all that thing leaves and i mean i i was hooked man and um so i'm kind of curious what um if if you do get out in the woods this year what uh what setup are you going to be using oh it's um i'm always tinkering with something but um and i will be getting out in the woods we have a started having a little thursday night uh competition around here uh just a bunch of us buddies get together man it's been a great time and we we all get to look forward to it. It's something that I don't think any of us has done quite a while. But yeah. uh, no, I've had my bow together for this year. It's a, it's a Hoyt Venom Pro 33. Um, I set like 29 and a quarter inch draw, 73 pounds. I think my arrow is like 508 grains, okay. running about 18.1 FOC. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, I hope that, like what you were saying, if people are following along with the tips and stuff like that, you know, you can deep dive into this and get lost in, you know, like, oh man, I need to up my FOC a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, there's a there's just a window that you should try to strive for. And if you're in that window and you're a whitetail hunter across the country, you're going to be fine. The biggest thing is shoot your bow, build muscle memory. You work on you more so than your 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 setup. By all means spend time on your setup and build confidence in your setup but mm-hmm. people should spend more time on themselves and uh, for whitetail hunting you should be fine you can always deep dive you know even more after the season but I don't want it to get overwhelming to people to where they're like oh my gosh I can't do this or that so I don't want to go into the woods it's overwhelming mm-hmm. and it's intimidating and I don't want to 
going to the woods and I can't kill this deer because my arrow is 20 grains light. That's not going to be the difference in you killing the deer. Accuracy is always going to win. So mm-hmm. no matter if you're shooting a 420 grain arrow, which it's a little light. You know, I, I like to see people 450 grains or, or more for an average and adult setup. Mm-hmm. But um, accuracy is always going to win because no matter how heavy of an arrow, no matter how what type of broadhead, if you're off your mark, that's where you're going to have problems. So always, you know, leave hardly anything to chance because we are shooting at live critters. Accuracy is always going to win. If you'll put that in there and you'll try to cut a hair on an on a animal, a specific hair, not just like, God, I hope I hit him somewhere. You want to hit him in his exact spot. Yeah. You know, accuracy will always, always win. So uh, that's the most important thing. Yeah, actually, it's funny you say that. Um, a buddy of mine who has another podcast uh, called Drawback Outdoors, he... He reached out when he heard one of the earlier episodes and we got to talk in and I asked him, you know, well, what are you shooting? You know, because I'm just curious. I like to know what people are using. I mean, I've got friends that are shooting anywhere from 397 grains with a mechanical to 650 grains with a fixed, you know. I mean, they're covering the whole thing. And he, uh, the one thing I kept telling him, I was like, look, because I think he ha- he's he's using the Q80 Exodus and his a- his arrows at like 430 grains, I think. And he was yeah. like, is that enough? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, dude, it's like T-Bone says, just be accurate. <laughs> it's like accuracy kills, yeah. man. And um, so, yeah, it, I'm, I'm glad that they finally got to hear it from you because um, I've only been hunting for four years. So I'm not an expert on anything except missing. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, but, you know, they're, they're, you can, it's just like in the days of, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners don't know about this, but like it, back in the days of, uh, well, it's still that way with rifle hunting, you know, it's mm-hmm. like you can, you can shoot anything from a 300 wind mag or, uh, you know, a, a, a 500 nitro all the way back down to a 200, 243, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll all kill a white-tailed deer. It's the same thing with the, the, the arrows, you know, you can shoot light and fast. I don't condone that. I've set up bows that shoot anywhere from 330 feet per second, shooting a you know an arrow that only is weighing 350 grains, yeah. 375 grains, all the way up to you know real heavy arrows and stuff like that. But there's a good common ground, you know. And a you know I, I guess I should you know to me the window of, of you know for the average guy on a whitetail, regardless of your drawing, regardless of your the pounds that you pull, you should try to achieve, in my opinion like having a 450 to say 550 grain arrow shooting between say 245 250 feet per second mm-hmm. to about 290 feet per second and then have an foc of around 15 to 20. those are the the, the windows that you need to hit and it, you know if you are doing that you know and you're whitetail hunting you know you for your uh um mechanical broadheads you should be fine as well as fixed bait broadheads you should be fine um, I, I wouldn't recommend, and I'm not a fan of mechanical broadheads that go in and fold back over themselves. I'm mm-hmm. not a fan of those at all. Mm-hmm. But the, the rear deploying kind, uh, as well as you know your fixed blades, uh, there's so many great broadheads on the market today, and you just got to put it where it counts. So, uh, I, I mean, that's to each your own. There's pros and cons to each and every one. I, I choose the ones that we shoot, just like you had mentioned, shooting the mega meat or the dead meat, and uh, we're so happy to be with g5 and a part of g5 and have been for so long just because they offer everything mm-hmm. from the m3 the montec the striker the uh, dead meat and the mega meat they've got you covered from soup to nuts no matter if you're shooting 40 pounds all the way to you know 80 pounds and you know trying to shoot a, an elk or a, a moose they got you covered for anything in north america gotcha um that makes me think of a question i have uh do you ever go on youtube and watch these broadhead tests where these guys are shooting like cinder blocks and stuff like that. Yep. When I you sure do, I, I I mean I don't I can't say I've seen every one of them, yeah. but I have. I've you know I've watched some of the ranch fairy stuff, and, okay. and I've also, um, you know, to me, you know, I don't know Troy, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to come this come across as, you know, a personal gouge at mm-hmm. the ranch fairy. Yeah. Um, by no means, because because a lot of the things he is saying is good, but I think it's on the extreme side, meaning I'm good friends with. Uh, Dr. Ashby I know Dr. Ashby as well mm-hmm. and it seems like Troy has latched on to that as a pig hunter basically only he's latched on to the things that Dr. Ashby and the Ashby Foundation has 
proven and studied, which is absolutely true if you're trying to take down a Cape Buffalo. But just like I said to earlier, there are a lot of things to to uh, consider, you know, long distance shots, longer distance shots, accuracy, speed, learning your trajectory, your sight picture, your sight window, um, you know, the deer's reaction. Not to say that you're going to outrun a deer, but all of those things come into play. So you don't necessarily need a 650 grain arrow or, you know, if you plan on never shooting past 30 yards, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, you want something that's really, really heavy, absolutely 650 grains would be the way to go. But, you know, some people like to, even just practicing in the yard, if you never, ever shoot a deer beyond 30, 35 yards, it's nice to have a, an arrow flying at a certain speed. Yeah. Well, not fast, but faster so that you can, you know, that your sight window will handle you shooting to 100 yards. And, you know, uh, you know, you, you build confidence in that. Just because you are shooting 100 yards doesn't mean that you will ever, ever shoot at an animal that far. It just helps you as far as, you know, uh, you know the feel. You know, we all like to try to take that half-point shot in basketball, don't mm-hmm. we? Oh, yeah. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that we need to do it in a game. Yeah. It just it's a low-percentage shot, but it's fun to do it just to see if you can, you know, yeah. because of the wow factor. So I don't encourage people not to do that, and no disrespect to Troy, I think he he tries a little shock value and tries to, you know, I guess to gain followers or to gain attention, mm-hmm. or, you know, he's regurgitating a lot of the stuff and feels it by himself to take on the legacy of Dr. Ashby, which in some ways is notable, but in, in some ways I think his delivery is... Uh, not too uh, attractive in my opinion gotcha yeah I mean I listened um, when I was really diving deep into it because like I mean right now my arrow setup is it's a victory v-force gamer it's got 125 grain insert up front 100 grain head I think it's 8.7 GPI at 26 inches and then lighted not like the whole arrow weight is about 511 grains and you know I, I mean I will admit I have had a little bit of issues getting it to um, tune, but all I had to do is knock tune. Like today, I knock tune a new arrow that I built, and you know we're money. So what what spine arrow is it? Three fifty. Yeah, that, and that might be an issue. That's okay. that might be a little on the weak side for that. Gotcha. Because of eight point seven grains per inch and a three hundred fifty spine, when you put that much weight up front, it, it you might be on the ragged edge of mm-hmm. being just a little bit uh, uh, too weak a spine, which we all know is a tuning problem. So. Yeah it might make it harder for you. I, I personally would recommend maybe going up in spine okay. if they offer Not necessarily saying that your arrow that you chose is bad, it's just the spine selection might be yeah. off a little bit. Yeah, I... Um, I would even say trim your weight on your front back a little bit, which will bring your spine back into play. Mm-hmm. So you think maybe like a 100 grain insert or 75 grain insert up front? Yeah, okay. yeah where your total weight you know, I, I hate to lose that FOC, but your FOC is probably way up there, I would yeah, guess. I would assume so. Yeah. I haven't checked it, yeah. but... I, I, I bet you're close to 20, um, just from the numbers that you told me. Yeah. Um, but, but you would you would um, probably do better to shave a little weight off, and then that would increase the spine, mm-hmm. increase your speed just a little bit, and you'd still be in that... If, if your weight's right, you'd still be in that 475, 480 grain. Yeah. A total arrow weight, and you, I bet your spine would come back in and make it uh, more consistent, a little more forgiving gotcha. than, than where you're trying to achieve by the You just can't stack on weight. People like yeah. think that they can the arrow they have and just put a weight on the front. If you don't have the good base and a good firm shaft, uh, you know, stiff spine shaft, you can't build it up like that. Yeah, I tried that um, when I was first getting started with it, and I mean, I say that I'm still getting started with it. I've only been tinkering for like a year. Um, yeah, well, I mean, here I'm in my 50s and I'm still taking so it. It's, it's awesome. It's fun, man. I love it. Yeah. I can't tell you how many vein, different veins I went through, like just everything. It, it's like I started at the front, went to the back, now I'm back at the front again. Um, yeah, and you was asking uh, about, I'm sorry, I, I kind of got off track no, you're a little good. bit, but you was asking about if I watched, um, you know, like penetration tests and durability yes. tests on things yes. like that. Well, the thing about that is... Um, a lot of these tests aren't real-life comparisons, meaning like you can't shoot into ballistic jail and do a penetration test, meaning it's good penetration on a ballistic jail. Mm-hmm. Absolutely it is. But 
Um, you know, like shooting into a target is not the same as shooting a deer because basically what a deer is, is like you could take some thin plywood and wrap it around a watermelon mm-hmm. and then take take a quilt that your wife had and wrap that around the, like have a piece of plywood, watermelon, plywood, and then on either side of that have your wife's quilt and then shoot through that and that's the closest thing to shooting through an animal because then if you shoot through that thin plywood, that re- represents the wood, I yeah. mean the ribs. And then once you get to the watermelon, it was all internal. Once you know, once you get to the lungs and the guts and the inside the chest cavity of an animal, it's all pure lubrication. Yeah. You know, so as long as your broadhead, which is built usually on a twenty-one sixty-fourth frame, and your arrow is just slightly smaller than that, five percent or more, mm-hmm. then you have zero drag through there. Whereas with ballistic gel, you have you have um, drag and and uh, um, static on the shaft the whole time you have friction on the shaft the whole time as it's trying to penetrate same thing with the target so if you're shooting into a block style target or one of these rubber foam morel style targets you can't compare the you know like well my broadhead didn't go in that far well as soon as your broadhead goes in then that target just grabs the shaft whereas it's not going to do that on the animal yep. it's like you're shooting a gallon jug the blades deploy and then you're inside of just lubrication where it's going through the the, the, the liver, the lungs, mm-hmm. the heart, and everything like that. So it's not a fair comparison. So I like to know that whatever I'm shooting busts a big hole, cracks that rib. You know, and it, it, a lot of people say, what about that shoulder? What about that shoulder? Well, if you hit that shoulder, I don't care if you're shooting, whatever you're shooting, you've got troubles. Mm-hmm. You've got trouble. And why are you going to build a 900-grain arrow to hit the shoulder, whereas I'd rather build a, 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 the perfect arrow with a huge hole yep. to go right where I'm supposed to go? And then if I go in to the guts, I got a two-inch hole with three blades going through the guts rather than a one-inch sliver yep. that's going to go through the guts. And, and it's problem if you hit that leg. You know, 650 grains may get you in there, you know, but, but you've got problems anyway there. You shouldn't yeah. be taking that shot. Or if he's got his leg back and you hit that leg, I mean, things happen. Mm-hmm. And I hate that, but I'm not going to build a build an arrow a super duper heavy arrow i mean i want good heavy arrow but not like a super duty arrow yeah you go through a leg where i don't even need to be shooting at yeah i mean you don't want to be slinging uh that's like saying what if i bounce off his horns i need some (laughs) handle bouncing off his horns it might go into his yeah (laughs) i'm telling you there's probably some people that do (laughs) no i know i mean something to be considerate of yeah, yeah. Like, yeah you hit that leg you're in trouble mm-hmm. you're in trouble you're, you're in trouble and then you know I've seen some examples you know where the guys that are like going for super super heavy like look where this guy hit it in the rear bone and it busted his leg mm-hmm. and I'm like that's impressive that's a huge wow factor but I'm like why is he in the why did he hit the deer in the rear leg you got problems regardless yeah. are we trying to achieve like wow I broke his rear femur yeah, are you well, trying to I kill him? If like, I hit him in the femur, I hope I don't hit him too hard where he can live another day so yep. I can put one through the pump station the next time. Yep. that uh, That's a huge thing that I've, you know, because I'm not going to say I've been worried about accuracy. I haven't. I mean, the arrows I'm shooting, I am definitely taking your advice. I'm going to probably start looking at some tonight. Um, but as far as, like, where the arrow is going to go, as long as I don't pull the shot or anything, I'm pretty confident it's going where it needs to in that soft spot you know um but i do know like i've lost deer before my like i told you before my buddy jd lost his deer this past weekend and yeah and he's he's had better grouping than i have sometimes i mean this dude was ripping fletchings off every day so it happens man the only thing you can do is be as accurate because as soon as you cut the air loose i mean all the burdens off of you Mm -hmm. it's off of how accurate you are it's how the deer is going to react it's the choices you've made, how sharp your broadhead is, and how big, you know, your arrow and all that. That the burden's off of you, so, you know, just make sure you do everything perfect up to that point. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I can, I can attest to that, because last year I had a shot on a doe, and that's why earlier when I said the only thing I'm good at is missing, is, uh, yeah. I, I mainly hunt out of a ground blind. That's, that's where I'm most comfortable. I'm afraid oh, of heights, yeah. not gonna lie. Uh, but I was in a tree stand and got a shot on a doe last year at my grandparents' place where I hunt at in uh, Monticello. Yeah. And um, 
they uh, she was 10 yards and I, I mean I got nervous got jelly leg and just drew back put my pins on her and I knew that she was 10 yards but out of practice because I didn't practice at different yardages as much as I should have I mainly stuck to 20 um, I went right over her back because I had my 20 right on the bottles but my 10 was above her back so you know and it happens and it's like you were saying it's it's important to make sure that where you basically how you practice is how you're going to be in the woods you know like if you're hitting darts when you're practicing just do different yardages and then you're set so but we yeah, all make you, mistakes you're, you're building confidence and things like that when when you you have misses and and if you're a bow hunter and you say hey, you've never missed well you just haven't bow hunted long enough yeah. it's gonna happen oh yeah yeah, I missed the crossbow the white tail deer will give you the, the white tail deer will give you the old humble pie real quick. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I had a whole year of that last year. Um, one thing the, I the first the first deer that I ever killed was in social circle. Really? Ever. My first deer in my whole life ever. Yeah. Was uh, actually you probably know too if you're you're from that area. Uh, Steve Pittman, the guy that runs the archery shop there at, at Ace Hardware. That's who set up my bow. Yeah, well, yep. he, uh, he he and I graduated high school together. Really? And we, yeah, he's the one that got me into archery. Steve Pittman is the one that got me started in archery. Period. No way. Uh, huh. Yeah, he got me started in bow hunting. Yeah. And then we, we you know we, we we were best friends through you know just out of high school and we hunted together and we had a hunting lease there in Social Circle. Uh, we we grew up in Douglasville, but we drive all the way to Social Circle to hunt. And I killed my first deer there with him and his dad. And yeah. We hunted for years, and I uh, really got. Well, we all started shooting competitively for a long time. Uh, we started competing together, and then, you know, I, I just immersed myself into archery, and then, you know, I, I gained, you know, got lucky and had a lot of success with tournament archery, and and uh, you know, then I opened my own store, and then mm-hmm. actually Steve came to work for me. Wow. Steve, you know, he was working for his dad, and then Steve worked for me for like ten or twelve years at my shop in. Hogan'sville, Georgia. Okay. Down here where I live. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would come down here and work for me, and then uh, as I when I sold my business, he moved out towards Covington, and he opened his own shop for a little while. He had a, he had his own store for a couple years, and then I think he went to work for Ace Hardware there. Gotcha. And they opened up a huge shop. So, but yeah, yeah. Whenever you're in there, ask him. Say, hey, I, I did a podcast with a with a long term friend, long time friend of yours, Steve yeah. Pittman. So I'm yeah I'm I'm uh. We used to go to the Catch a Maverick and eat lunch, which is right there on Highway 11, like you're going to Monticello. Yeah. It's a convenience store right there, and we'd eat barbecue sandwiches out of the Catch a Maverick, and we'd uh, hunt right there. Well, I mean, literally on the edge of the city limits of Social Circle. Wow. Did y'all ever hit um, Clyde Bell WMA? Yep, I've hunted there. Really? That's where we were this past yep. weekend. Um, and... La- I mean, last year, man, I saw the biggest deer in my life out there, like 160 I'm gonna, inches. I'm going to show my age that Clyde Bell was not even open whenever we started hunting. Really? I thought it's been open for a while. Well, it has been a while, but I was open. <laughs> I've been alive a while. So. You're what, 32? <laughs> man. But, uh, we used to hunt at Cedar Creek. Yeah. You know, a lot. Yep. Creek WMA and then Piedmont National Wildlife. Refuge, and, wow. uh, so yeah, that's where I cut my teeth. Is that's out there crazy. in social circle. That's crazy, man. Yeah, you want to talk about a small world? Um, when you were talking about your Thursday archery, um, I guess competition that y'all were doing, was that with uh, yeah. Center Center Ground Outdoors? Yeah, they. Okay. Uh, well, um, the, the Anthony and Memphis have been friends of mine for many, many years. They used to be. Um, well, they were customers of mine when I had my store back from, I opened my store in 94 and had it till 2006. Gotcha. Down here in Hogan'sville, and I sold my store in 2006, but yeah, they were customers of mine from then, and they're the next town over, and Anthony's helped uh, um, a couple of houses that I bought. He's helped do some remodeling. He does, con- him, they do contracting work. They actually built my wheelchair ramp off the back of my house, too, yeah. so... Yeah, That's Anthony awesome. and Memphis are good friends of mine, yeah. Yeah, the reason I ask, um, one of my good buddies, Paul Sinoground, I think is like one of their nephews or something like that. And he, yeah. he told yeah, me all about that. That's crazy, man. Yeah, it's yeah. a small world. I mean, I knew I knew Ace in Social Circle was, was a big name when I saw that uh, Lee from Seek One was up there. And yeah. I, I saw that, I'm like, wow, 
okay, well, I didn't know, you know, big dogs went there. I thought they were just a small archery place. Um, oh, no, I think. And it started that way, but um, no, Steve's got as you know much archery background as I do. I mean, as far as working on bows, yeah, you know, going to competitions and stuff like that. Yeah, he's well versed. I mean, he, you know, definitely when people ask me where to go as far as an archery shop, um, you know, he's definitely in the top three. You know, I always mention Ace Hardware Archery Learning Center, which is there in Lawrenceville. Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about. Yep, and then also down here in Columbus, the Archery Connection. Okay, I think that's where Paul goes. And there's some, yeah, and there's some other ones that are that are good around, but those three right there are really big stores. They got really good folks working in there, and you know, there's nothing that's gonna, uh, you know, actually surpass. You know, you can't get the service archery wise from a box store or mm-hmm. on the internet. You know, I mean, you can get a lot of good ideas and stuff like that, but for as far as a a guy that can turn the wrenches and you know uh, troubleshoot problems and stuff it's hard to beat your uh, your local independent retailer and, and steve and those guys out there big john mm-hmm. you know yeah i've known big john a long time too so those, wow yep that's crazy yep. man i never would have i never would have known that yeah um so yeah. one sorry what were you gonna say uh nothing i think oh. <laughs> I flip on the thing gotcha um one thing i heard uh from another podcast you were on I think like a week or two ago it was uh, Dan Johnson's Nine Finger Chronicles um, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong but did you mention something about us getting a three day velvet hunt sometime in August or that's up in the air or something like that it's, it's been discussed okay yeah um, um, Mark Williams uh, he's the director of the DNR mm-hmm. for the state of Georgia it's been talked about. It seems like it's been very successful with the neighboring states. Mm-hmm. You know, Kentucky always starts so early. Tennessee has uh, started it. Um, actually, uh, Mississippi's velvet season starts this week. Mm-hmm. Their season will come into October 1st, but I think wow. they got a three-day season starting Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't see nothing wrong with it. I mean, and like if it, if it gets people jump-started into the outdoors a little earlier, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, kind of the rather than everybody you know in, in Georgia not really start until Labor Day when dove season comes in let's, yeah. let's have three days of a buck only one buck only deer season you know like say the last week of August or so and and just see how it does for us I, I mean I don't think it can hurt I mean <laughs> you get people in the woods a little early yeah. start people buying buying goods and services you know are a little earlier in the year so I don't see no problems whatsoever so I, I would I would hope they would do it it's it's hot I know a lot of people ain't gonna want to be out there and usually that time of year you're only gonna hunt the evenings as it is but um, hey them deer live out there 365 days a year so you gotta get out there after them yeah and they got fur and fat I mean if they can do it we definitely can do it you know yeah exactly, um, exactly. yeah I mean I, I went this past weekend because I mainly get to hunt mornings um, it's just kind of the easiest on the family and, and all of that and I mean it really wasn't that bad it was a little bit rainy but you know and now with this cold front we got coming through, I mean, dude, I think this weekend's going to be on fire for everybody. I mean, it... Today it felt so good. Oh, dude, I walked outside and I was like, thank you, God. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, no, hey, we're... It, it, it's, the fall's not here yet. Well... It just gave us a little taste of it. We're hey. going to be balls off by the, end of the, <laughs> by the end of the month. Yeah. I don't know. I just... I, I try to be hopeful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I mean, every year it teases us, teases us a little bit. Yep. Um, so we covered that. There was one other thing I wanted to ask you. I'm drawing a blank now. So I guess what, um, do you plan on hunting in Georgia at all this season? Oh yeah, probably okay. hunting in Georgia mostly actually. Okay, um, good. I've, I've got a Kansas tag. If everything goes good and, you know, I feel comfortable mobility wise, I'm going to go to Kansas. And if things go well there, I, I got a place that I can hunt right across the border in Oklahoma, so I may bounce back and, and, and hunt both of those states. And then we've got another place that we potentially could hunt in December mm-hmm. um, in Texas. Okay. So, if I, you know, that, that's the only, you know, three traveling trips that I'll do. And then um, I've already signed up. I'm going to do a handicap hunt here in Georgia nice. at Holiday Park. Uh, actually, I've helped out at it, you know, over the years because it's real close here. It's mm-hmm. in December, and uh, it's, it's in the park right on the lake. They shut the whole thing down, and it's got so much pavement through there. So all the guys can, I mean, it's just loaded with deer, mm-hmm. and all the guys can maneuver their uh, wheelchairs around and things like that. 
so with that said um I, I just thought it was ironic that you know i've helped out with that hunt and went down there and hung out with the guys over the years and now i'm going to be a part of it yeah I lost my leg so i thought we need to you know we're, we're going to video that and celebrate that and you know and uh uh take advantage of that it'd be nice because it's close to home it's only you know 20 miles down the road and, and go hang out with the guys and gotcha and have a good time yeah that sounds like fun man um yeah something i was curious about kind of strategy wise um one of your famous lines if you're if you ain't baiting you're waiting yeah uh <laughs> i i i bait i mean i'll openly say that i have nothing against it anyone who does I, yeah. it doesn't make it easier i can tell you that with firm confidence um what's your strategy for that because i i used to put it out a few days before i'd go out but like i said before i go in the mornings dude all last season i'd do that and i would get busted every single time um so i changed it up and i've been taking in little bags of uh it's called deer candy i think it's like some new feed that's come out and i pour it out as soon as i get to the blind and then at least based off what i saw this past weekend as soon as the sun comes up there's deer on it and um I mean, I didn't. Uh, this property, I've, I've, I'm trying to do buck management, so I didn't take any of the deer that I saw. A couple, one and a half year old bucks and a doe with fawns. Um, but strategy wise, is that is that what you guys do? Like when you put bait out, um, whenever you do it, I know y'all don't y'all don't do it all the time, but when you do it, is that is that your strategy? You go out, just pour it, and then go sit. Yeah, every you know everything's different, um, and. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're back. Um, so, yeah, I was asking you about y'all's strategy for baiting. Yeah, um, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people are, you know, they can be against baiting, but, uh, you know, if you think about it, it's the only way you're going to kill the critters is their their need for, for feed or their need for going to bed or their need for sexual desire. That's mm-hmm. the only way you're going to kill the critter. So the guy that doesn't bait, but yet he sits over a persimmon tree or an acorn tree or uh, plants a food plant essentially you're baiting you know you're you're, you're baiting that's yeah. what you're doing so, um you know the, the 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 single mother that's got the 15 year old kid that, that can't afford to go buy you know a tractor so she can plant food plots well she can go to the store and pay 12 dollars and get a 50 pound bag of corn so she can pour it out so her exactly so that, <laughs> she can, so that her son or what have you can can you know get out there and enjoy the great outdoors then i'm all for baiting absolutely i am Baiting does this a lot of things. One, it enables you to get pictures from your trail camera, so you you have the the fun, the passion all year long. Mm-hmm. You're taking an inventory of what's in the area, so that you can make a good decision rather than like uh, right when the buck steps out, it's like, oh, there he is. I see antlers, and you shoot, and it's like, oh man, that was a four pointer. I didn't want to shoot. Mm-hmm. Nothing that wrong with shooting the four pointer if if that's what you want. But if you want to make a educated decision on the herd that you got. You know, you've got time invested all summer long where you've watched this four-pointer. Okay, the four-pointer comes in first. Usually 15 minutes later, this bigger eight-pointer comes in. So you know this, so that you're ready, and then plus you know what type of deer are in the area. Mm-hmm. And you can see if you got too many does. Do I need to take a few does out? Do I need to, you know, there's a bully eight-pointer or a knuckle-headed seven-pointer I need to take out? Or I'm holding off because there's a big ten-pointer that's a once-in-a-lifetime buck in my area. I'm going to shoot him. So baiting allows you to do that yeah well what we like to do is if you've got time and it's your own property is i i set up trough feeders and again it all depends on your budget of course too mm-hmm. but we got trough feeders that i feed all year long but i bring the trough feeders up in areas that i'm never going to probably see a deer in daylight mm-hmm. just because of i know they're going to eat it not they're going to eat nocturnal but what that does is i bring them up close to the house or dwellings or near the road knowing that they're going to eat there at night and that what that does is it allows the deer to travel at all times of the day through my property because if mm-hmm. i got it put on the edges i'm never going to catch them traveling mm-hmm. so if the if the if the core of the property has got all the feed the deer wherever they're bedding at you know of course you know all of us can't own i don't own but you know 90 acres here mm-hmm. but still you can't own 2,000 acres and them deer are going to be traveling oh, yeah. so with your feed to the core they get used to coming all year long uh, and then what you do is take and put appetizer piles back towards their bedding area, and then you get them daylight because hmm. they're mainly traveling to the main food source. So if you've got a main food source where they're eating all night long, 
you try to catch them between there and the bedding with an appetizer pile. Not that they're going to spend all, you know, you're going to get a picture or two of them, and then they're moving on to the main food source, wherever that may be. Yeah. It may be soybean field. It may be, uh, you know, somebody planted watermelons. You know, you, you don't know. Mm-hmm. But they're going somewhere for a long-term destination at night so that they can feed not close together. Whereas the appetizer pile just allows you to get intel mm-hmm. during daylight, and then you hunt over that appetizer pile. But to answer your question, um, you know, you, you you sound like you got something that's like a that has a good aroma, and a, you know, it's not like they're gonna fill up on your your sugar coated candy what you got there. Mm-hmm. We use like Big and J for that because it has such a strong aroma. Yeah, we use that with some corn so that it works its way through the wood. So even if they're you know downwind and they're hundred and something yards off rather than tracking like they're going to they'll come to your pile out of curiosity just to see what it is or they've smelt that before and they're like i loved eating it that before i'm gonna go by by there and get me a couple mouthfuls of that goody goody before i go to the main food source and that's when they usually make their mistake but the cameras it's the good thing about trail cameras they'll tell you what's going on oh yeah yeah that um that for sure honestly you got my wheels turning because i never thought of that i always thought that you know because i've got one one feed site and it's the way the property is set up is my grandparents house is on the front and then there's a trail that goes down to this little quarter of an acre field really it's it's more like just grass but um all around it is hardwoods and i've got my blind tucked in about 20 yards away from where i've been putting the feed at um there is a tree stand that was already there when they bought the property on the very back end um there are trails going to it. I mean, last year, because I've only been hunting this place for about a year, man, shoot, man, not even a year. Um, but when I went back there and scouted the first time, I can't tell you how many rubs I saw. And I did get one picture. I named him Rocky, probably one of the biggest I've ever seen. And they had a trough feeder. So it was funny that you had said that because I was filling it with corn, um, big time, attracts. I mean, basically all the stuff, seeing what they liked the most. And he only came to it during the day, or I'm sorry, during the night, never daylight. Yeah. And he stayed for like three days. And I'm sitting here like, well, yeah. dude, I'm buying this $25 bag of attracts. Why well, I'm working. You know, all the does loved it. But, um, well, see, that's a good idea. Mature bucks, a lot of times mature bucks are leery of a feeder. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you don't see, a lot of times you won't see a mature buck. If you just put a feeder up, you won't see that. If he didn't grow up with that there, yeah. a lot of deer that we hunt on here, they're used to it, meaning they've had out of a trough since they had spots on them. Gotcha. So they're used to it. So, But if you just throw a trough feeder up to get a five or six-year-old buck to come to that trough feeder that's never seen it, that, that probably ain't going to happen. Okay. You get a lot of the younger buck. But nonetheless, it's still dragging the herd there. Yep. And even though, yeah, and you will get him in those appetizer piles out and out about and around. He may not come to your trough feeder. But having the trough feeder towards the core of your property or up near the, the dwellings and stuff, you're mm-hmm. thinking, I can't hunt here. I'm never going to see a deer here. You're probably never going to see a deer there in daylight, but then you drug all those deer through your property. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they're going to be like, man, i got to get to that trough feeder right after dark. But that means for the hour leading up to that, they're working their way through the property, and that's where you need to ambush them. Yeah. And it may be a white oak that you said you got a lot of acorn trees right oh, yeah. there. It may be a white oak that's super sweet. You know, it's, it's kind of hard if you've got 10 or 15 acres of white oaks and, you know, a lot of them are dropping. You know, that's when you got to go old school and go through the woods and find out where the most droppings are. Yeah. The deer droppings, the deer poop, and it shows what they're keying in on those trees. And you set up accordingly based on those, those trees. Or, you know, if it's on a major trail, put your little appetizer pile out there and you know, and uh, you can you can hunt over it. If you're going to be hunting, you know you're going to be hunting, so try to slide out there a couple days in advance and put that, that appetizer pile out there. It's help you a lot better than pouring it out the day of the hunt. Gotcha. That That's what I've been struggling with because, like, I mean, it did work. Granted, it didn't bring the big bucks in. Now, they did show up. The good thing is that I know the neighbor's feeding. I know that he's, you know, he, he's not as serious about it as I am. I mean, I talk to my wife's ear off about this stuff, man. Uh it's pretty bad. But uh, he, he told me, he was like, yeah, I'm just putting corn out, you know, and we're going to hit it whenever. And I'm like, okay, well, that, hey, good luck. I hope you get one. But that made me feel a little better knowing that there's, I guess, higher quality stuff. But, again, I wasn't thinking about the fact of a main food source and then, like you were saying, an appetizer spot. So 
That's right. I'm probably going to give that a try because I do have a tree yeah. I've already picked out that is deeper in the hardwoods. It's not by that field, but it's right on the trail that they come in because they all come in from the same spot. So yeah. I might try that. That's that's not yeah, a bad idea. And, and especially when it gets closer to the rut, you're saying like, man, I got this trough feeder and, you know, I'm seeing six or seven does, a bunch of young bucks every night. There's just so many deer and you think like, man, I don't ever get a picture of this big buck that I've got a few pictures of. Mm -hmm. Well, he's probably around there because he's waiting for a doe to come into rut. I mean, he's going to follow the herd, you know, because they're, they're used to the, you know, everybody's eyeballs seeking for danger and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. you throw an appetizer pile and put a camera on it and, I, I, and odds are you'll probably get a picture of him. So it's, we like to call it, um, I ain't saying I got it figured out, but I mean, I, I just think it does help. We, we're training the deer to die. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times we give these deer a lot more credit or these critters that we're hunting a lot more credit than what they are because, you know, all they're doing is working off of their sexual desires and their need to survive by eating. And, that, and that's all we got to do is adapt to, uh, to, to conquer that. Just play the wind and, you know, you're putting the odds in your favor. Yeah, that, um, and like, you know, it, like I said, I've only been doing it for four years. It's really just a learning Thing. I'm learning every day about wind, thermals, all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, I don't want to keep you, and I'm pretty sure I hear my daughter calling me. So, yeah. Um, we definitely got to do this again. I really appreciate you taking your time out. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as yeah. much as I did. We're, oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yes, I was going to say, you mentioned Center Ground Outdoors. Yeah. I would, you know, it sounds like you've got a great, you know, southeastern uh, Georgia podcast going. I, I would have Steve Pittman on, yeah. you know, on your podcast, as well as uh, ask, I'm sure Anthony and Memphis Centerground, they'd be glad to come on there because they do a lot of hand carving and European mounts and stuff like that. And it would be helpful to, you know, the people that's in your, your that's listening to your podcast. So, uh, you know, by all means, they would be great guests to have on there. And, and again, thanks for having me on here. appreciate, you know, what you're doing for your young career or your young start to this you're doing good things by uh, spreading the word and, and uh keeping the pep rally going as far as the <laughs> the hunting goes for the southeast yeah man i'm trying i mean there, there weren't that many and you know i've listened to working class bow hunter and they were kind of the inspiration to even do this because they literally are doing the same thing i mean they've been doing it way longer but you know i worked a nine to five i mean it's it's yep it's just like everybody else, most, the majority of people that hunt, it, they're doing what I'm doing. So Yeah, those, those guys are good. I, we always have such a good time with them. Oh, yeah, I love we, them, man. We've done, we've done their podcast a couple of times every year for the last, I don't know, five or six years. So yeah. Cool, man. Good yeah, I, I, um, I, I seriously cannot thank you enough, man. I really do appreciate it. You're absolutely welcome, man. Have a good one. Go tuck daughter in. Yes, sir. Will do. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Southeastern Bowhunter Podcast. Go give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our YouTube channel.